Hey, welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. If you feel stuck, restless, overwhelmed, or dissatisfied with your current life, despite your life looking pretty good on paper, or at least on social media, I can totally relate. Together, we'll figure out how to take the next right step. I'll interview women who are a little farther along on the path and get tips and ideas from them. I definitely don't have it figured out, so I'll share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Let's get started because life is too short to waste in autopilot. If you want to be the best possible version of you, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Today is Saturday, and I just released my 50th episode, so you should go on over and listen to that. But today's episode is with my friend, Rachel Lee. Rachel is, I know her as a writer friend, but she has so much more depth to her. So Rachel has this platform called Irreverent Rachel, and it's hilarious, but it's also... um, It sort of arose out of having a lot of people close to you pass away, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which Mm -hmm. is not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. I guess I'm nervous. Oh, I laugh all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Irreverent Rachel, your site is so funny and you make these little cartoons that um, get me tickled because I've always (laughs) appreciated that kind of humor. But what I wanted to talk about was your journey from um, being a, okay, what were you, psychology uh, so my, my uh, a little bit of everything. <laughs> I might, I have a very circuitous career path. So all my life growing up, I was a writer, so to speak. So my undergraduate degree is in nonfiction writing and I wrote feature stories and worked for a bunch of papers. And then I burned out on that and was in a lot of debt and was like, I'll pick the next career that you make no money in. I'm going to be a counselor. So then I got my master's in counseling <sighs> psychology Um, But while I was doing that, I was also in a financial service company, which the end of the story is then I stayed there 20 more years. So (laughs) they're all still there. I'm still there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now it's all making sense. When you went back to get your master's, did you already have kids? I did not. Nope. So I was partnered with my husband. We we did the whole like, "Eh, maybe we'll never get married thing. So we were together for 10 years before we got married, but that would have been... I finished my degree a good five, six, seven years before we were like, yeah, maybe we'll have a kid. Okay. So that, that was my life before family life. And then it's, from what I understand, you kind of just moved on, like from your creative side, your writing side, and you were working and doing the mom mm-hmm. thing. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So it, the, the way it flowed was, um, you know, I had, my mom's a pianist, a professional pianist, but you know, not the kind that makes a lot of money. And my dad was a sales guy and they were definitely, they were always supportive, maybe to a fault of my writing. And that was just sort of the true North. So like, that's what you're going to do. But there was never, other than getting a really good education, there was never really any work or understanding on my family side about like how you become something, right? My mom, for sure, she got her master's in, in music and, and went on to do what she did, but my dad was first gen to college. And so other, it was sort of like, get a really good education, do what you want, 
and the money will follow. And by the way, that's not true. <laughs> so, <laughs> See, that's, that's funny because I always wish um, my parents would have been like, just pursue your dream. Right. It, it, it's a double-edged sword because yeah. I, I had the luck of parents who like great parents, but to a fault, right? They yeah. just sort of were like, do this thing that you want to do. But I like, I literally left college hope with student loans and debt. And I was like, I don't even know how to get a job, what job to get. Like it's all of it was an accident after that. So other than trying to stay through my true North in my twenties of just writing in any form. Right. So I, I wrote for papers and I was public relations at a school and blah, blah, blah. I, so I did it. I did this thing that I, I had told myself my, my parents wanted to see me do, but it doesn't make money, at least the way I pursued it. Um, and I was still in debt. And in the back of my head, I suddenly began realizing that because my parents themselves didn't make a lot of money and then my dad was basically unemployable for the last 30 years of his life, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, holy shit, I'm going to have to support you someday. Mm-hmm. So there was this, this moment in time for me where my personal interests and passions, which include my through line in life, you'll hear me say, has always been writing and helping. So that's why I went on to get the counseling degree. But again, I sort of had to look in the mirror and say, if I leave my current company and the good benefits and all that crazy stuff and go off and do this thing that pays a fifth as much, right? Mm-hmm. I, I won't actually, it, it'll be very limiting for a lot of other things in my life. So there was, there was a little bit of a bitter moment in there where I felt like my parents' situation uh, was dictating my life. Mm-hmm. But I am happy to tell you, what would this be like 15 years later? I'm like, you know what? what it allowed me to do is be very fierce and intentional about the choices I made within those constraints and limitations Mm -hmm. and still get to apply my writing degree and my counseling degree and be come back full circle and be creative. Oh, I love that you're telling us this because so often I'm bad about saying to follow your dreams. You have to, (laughs) you know, take a chance and, you know, you can't get too caught up in your retirement plan, but you're saying, actually, you're going to, feel a lot better about pursuing your creative outlets if you have a job and you don't have to stress about it. Is that what you're saying? For me, and I want to underscore, I think it's part temperament. Like for me, because I grew up with the family finances being pretty tough, it it was really stressful as a kid Mm -hmm. to experience that, you know, so that really informed I feel like if we we all notice the people who are the most successful or driven or whatever, it's usually because there's something in their past that they wanted to overcome or do differently. Right. So I, I definitely noticed about myself, even though I had, I, I'm an innately and a, a creative writerly person. And, and, and now we're talking now because I've realized like, it's like breathing to me. I can't not do it. Um, but I also realized that, that I, when I did it alone without being, take, being able to take care of all the other aspects of my life, mm-hmm. that wasn't, satisfying either right Right. you said you and kind so, of burned out exactly like I did a career counseling class around then and ironically that's actually what I loved about my counseling specialties too uh and that's where I really looked in the mirror for the first time and and did all these assessments it was like you know what you yes you've got this through line and this passion but you also have a strong need desire to have stability have you know I, I just need I need the foundation first and then I can go off and do the things that I want to be more creative with. Yeah. So at what point working working at your job, having kids, doing the wife thing, at what point (laughs) did you say, you know what, there's got to be more to this? 
Yeah, I think um, I think people my age, which is 48, might recognize this. Everybody tells you it and until it happens, kind of like the hurry menopause, you're like, what are you talking about? And then yeah. it happens, you're like, damn, <laughs> oh, you're right. So for me, it was, you know, I, I always enjoyed getting older. I didn't, you know, I had a great childhood. I had good friends. I had a nice life, all that. But I I definitely was insecure and stressed and anxious and, and like, you know, depressive and on meds actually now, not then, but now. Um, so that, that was overbearing and I had a lot of voices in my head, right. Yeah. That sort of, I think limited my happiness, quite frankly. Um, and then you get older and your choices narrower for me, that was a good thing, right. I was less overwhelmed with, I could do this. I could do this. So mm-hmm. I was living my life and here's the house I'm in and here's the, partner I'm with and here's the son I have and here's the job I chose to stick with um and a bunch of things conflated it was both like you know I was 45 presumably and I had given the first you know as you'd have to do with little kids you know my son's zero to five or somewhere around then I was fully focused on family Mm -hmm. but then I had this layer on top of it because my husband and I have much older parents we were the accidental like oops 10 years after our last sibling surprise parents Uh, were pregnant again so case in point I've got an 86 year old mother he's got an 88 year old mother who are the, the surviving elders and so for the first 10 years of my son's life we were also managing end of life and elder care so now you layer on I'm middle-aged I'm family focused and then I'm elder focused and then the straw that broke the camel's back is I was just even though I've been part of, uh, of the same group for a while at work um, the roles I, everybody plays changes the work ebbs and flows and I'd hit a point where I was like I'm really underutilized <laughs> and I was yeah. like I need an outlet for this this side of me Mm -hmm. um and what was interesting is my husband had never um seen me do this there were I started taking writing classes and he was like what is this zone you go into where you're just full you know I mean I could write all night hope that that's a a different level of energy for me I've always been like that and he'd never seen it before right so a big piece of what's been happening in the last couple years was me reclaiming who I was, what I used to be, what I still want to be, and then yeah. figuring out how to do it in this life I now have. That's right. Yeah. Did your husband struggle with um, this new version of you? Oh, yeah. Still, yeah. still struggle. It's a daily negotiation. And I don't say that as a negative, um, but it takes time, right? Yeah. And and so, you know, you, you all with our little weekly friendship writing crowd that we meet you hear me say regularly and I, and you you see me show up or not show up as a function of my other commitments right and making mm-hmm. sure that I don't um shirk family from his point of view and pay attention to my son's interests and um yeah I had to like even today this is a good case in point they were supposed to be at a soccer game which means my time is my own and yes. I can do it without them interrupting the, the soccer game got canceled oh. which is fine and all right it's okay but that's that's what I've been doing is being very strategic to honor both the existing commitments I had right and then the yeah. stuff that I'm going back to yes we had a conversation about that this morning in our marriage therapy <laughs> Oh, good. Right. It's It's, an ongoing thing. It is hard because, um, you know, your spouse falls in love with um, a certain version of you. And then as you grow and change, 
and they may feel like, who are, who is this new you? Totally. Um, that can be really hard, but uh, yeah. it can feel like a betrayal. Doing You're doing right? it anyway. Yeah. It can feel like a betrayal. And yeah. And I, you know, the nice part is uh, for my part, there's days when I wish my husband would engage with this stuff either more or differently or whatever. And I've had to come to terms with he likewise only has so much time to give and energy give and focus because at the end of the day, right. The last thing we each have time for is ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So I've had to relax into my expectations of his um, attention. Mm -hmm. And I think case in point, I probably at least every couple of weeks, I say this, you all watched it happen at Christmas. So even though I, I mostly felt from his point of view that this was a problem and, it was a disruption. It took me away from them. At Christmas, he bought me a microphone for my Aww. iPhone, for my podcast. And I was like, oh my God. I literally said this to him last night. I was like, that was one of the nicest things you have ever yeah, <laughs> done for me. Because he's and acknowledging he's like, totally. And he's like, Rachel. <laughs> totally. He's a crazy, crazy, generous guy. So this is not to say that he hasn't gotten me many other splendid gifts over 20 yeah. years, but that was one of the best ways he could honor and appreciate and support me right now, which is yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and then you also at work, you have this group of women and they were get, they wanted you to give a talk or did you volunteer to give a talk? I, I threw my name in the hat. So what happens is with a company, my size, they'll, they'll be different organizations, like in this case, a woman's group. And they, for a couple of years had been putting on what they call Ted style talks. So not the real Ted, not TEDx, but just, you know, that same format. You get on a stage, uh, you wear a suit, suit or yeah, something. Yeah. And <laughs> Happily, they moved away from the suit thing because I don't wear suits. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So what was funny, and this, this was a really key moment is I... I was, the snowball was starting to roll down the hill. I had moved away from writing classes and secured a writing coach, which is how we met each other, right? Yeah. Same, same person. Um, and she's, a, as you know, a go-getter and take no prisoners. And so I hadn't yet mm, practiced carving out for myself this time, right? Yeah. In this, in doing this effort, creative effort on a regular basis. So I think the day we met at one point, the women's group had sent an email and said, Hey, we're doing this talk. If you want to put your name in the hat, we'll consider you and maybe select you and it's due tomorrow. And so I said, Hey, Nadine, this thing is happening. Maybe I'll do it next year. She's like, what next year? Do it now. And I literally, that was, that was probably the first day of the rest of my current life because <laughs> love that, right? Because we, um, and this is really, I, I hadn't thought about it this way, but this is really pertinent that we were, planning I did go visit with relatives and we were staying overnight which meant I had to consciously ask slash tell as we walked in the door I'm going to go put my kid down to sleep you all are going to start talking with the wine and I'm going to go upstairs for an hour or so to submit this thing yeah uh, but I you know I did it hope like I chose me I chose that moment I submitted it I got selected and I, I will go so far as to say that um, the the group of talks that that um, organization curated ended up having such a big impact on how they did it the next year which was was it this year last year because I coached the next person I think so many of us raised our hand to just tell these super honest mm. life stories yeah and I I up until then it, they'd been sort of more polite businessy conversations and it unlocked the entire 
uh, approach. And they had an international one this year because wow. everything could be done in Zoom. They had their first male speaker. It was like something, they just made something happen that I was so lucky to be a part of. And so I get to look back on that now and be like, that was my first step. And it helped a lot. Yeah. Cause you gave your talk on elder care, right? I did. Yeah. So I, what did I call it? Managing the unmanageable. Um, and, and it, again, it was, it was almost like I was unzipping this suit that I'd put on for a couple decades. And I ne- don't get me wrong. Like I never wore the heels. I never wore the suits. I, I never have felt fit in, in that sense, in this environment, I'm incapable of hiding my irreverence. <laughs> no shoulder but, pads for you. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but I, um, but nobody knew. I, it was almost like I was walking my 16 year old self onto the stage and being like, this is who I am. And uh-huh. this is my real humor. And this is my real voice. And this is my real life and storytelling. So yeah, I told it in my own irreverent Rachel way. And I had, and this is the thing like not to sound cocky hope, but I was like, as I knew I would, I had the audience howling right yeah. like just because I was saying stuff that in that environment people would never say right. normally say that's what I, I love saying. about your cartoons they're so right? irreverent and so <laughs> funny Thank you. and that so that's I love that you say that because to me the cartoons are a pissy encapsulation of the voice that I had been trying to find again yeah. right and put out into the world it was like you were birthed. Uh, the new <laughs> you was birthed on that stage. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it's true. Yeah. And I, you know, again, it wasn't about the fame, the glory of this. Cause of course the day after I got reams of emails and my, some coworkers went and all the support. And then the next day, like it's as if it never happened. Right. Well, still, you were famous for that whole like 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> exactly. But it so, does, it, it creates that mm, inner motivation. I think when you have those moments. And so after that talk, did you say, this is my thing? This is like what I'm really into or what I'm good at or? Uh, I'm happy to say for the purpose of your podcast, no, the clarity was not that, that, that deep. (laughs) (laughs) I will offer that I, it it was more that I was like, you know, when you're in a, doing the doggy paddle and water uh-huh. and you're like, okay, I can swim. I cannot drown. This is good, but I don't yeah. know which direction shore is. What do I do now? <laughs> so yeah. I was talking. So actually what ended up happening was that was in the fall. I had you buy is so to speak, these coaching hours, right. With our coach. And uh-huh. so I had X amount that I was supposed to use. And then from the fall into the spring, spring when they were supposed to end, like I didn't even have enough time to use them home. Uh-huh. So the next time I connected with her in a, in a like what am I going to do next sort of way she and I were assessing that fact of of saying you've got this crazy busy family life you've got this crazy busy full-time job how are you going to fit your creative interests around the edges and you know Nadine she would never say it can't be done she's just like right. what are you going to do to make it happen um and so what I would say the next thing that unlocked me is I because I had worked with her probably for at least a year at that point she it's it, and you could do it for me too now. Hope like when you're watching somebody else go through the metamorphosis or being birthed, you have more clarity than they do, right? Mm-hmm. So she just sort of wrote, held up the mirror and said, "Here's this elder care through line I hear. Here's you know you say you like to write and you like to speak and you let you know. So you've got all these different ways that you're interested in putting yourself out there. So hey, I'm creating this." 
platform class. Why don't you come join that? And, mm-hmm. and when she invited me into it, she basically, she had all these offerings and of her offerings, she suggested that's the one that seemed to fit the most. And okay. I don't think either one of us hoped would have known how that then would unlock the next layer as right. in the way that you got to witness. But what happened for me was having, giving myself the permission to not have a set idea about what I was supposed to do, which I really have constrained myself with over the last couple of decades in terms of like how to write Mm -hmm. and what the output had to look like. That was super liberating. And just, you know, being immersed in those classes with you all and, and, you know, talking about, you know, podcasts, which I never, ever considered and blogs and cartoons and I do not draw was just sort of I didn't know that. I kind of thought you were always a doodler. Oh my God, no. Oh, absolutely not. Ever. (laughs) No. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, if your listeners were to take nothing else away from my babble, the, the through line there was that I knew that my, the voice and the, and the brand and the writing identity I wanted out of there, I had, I have some heroes or icons. One is uh, Anne Lamott, one is David Sedaris, but then on the, on the visual side, uh, there's a woman who created something called uh, Parenting with Crappy Pictures, which then became just Crappy Pictures, and that got turned into a couple books, and then my absolute laugh out loud can't recommend highly enough just tears rolling down your face is hyperbole and a half by Ali Brush okay and whereas Amber Dursick with the first one is like me not an illustrator by any means Mm -hmm. and she literally just made crappy pictures to compliment her funny blog Amber or sorry uh Ali Brush is a profoundly good uh practiced illustrator who just happens to draw in this really goofy or ever way. Um, So that was, I never, ever, ever case in point planned to do anything with illustration, but I suddenly realized I could punctuate these little elder anecdotes in that way. And so if you were to go on my site and look at my first ever drawing, hope you would see just how bad I am. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're really not. But I love how this all came together over about a year, maybe a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And you really just knew you wanted to write, but you didn't know that you'd have a platform one day. Exactly. And And, and I would say that because I knew I really wanted to write, and then I did the platform thing, I realized creating a platform was easier to a way to allow myself to be creative than pitching a different magazine every week that I don't have time for and that like the the dirty little secret is my platform is for me first yeah (laughs) so I get to do a cartoon and a blog and a podcast whenever I have time to do it you'll see the cadence of my output is very specifically built on my schedule I I couldn't do what you do for example um and that's awesome because I, I get to wake up like this morning, I did some work on my podcast and I look at it as I get to do it. Right? Yes. As opposed to having it be a chore or somebody else's deadline. And I like all things I'm sure you can probably relate to, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm so I'm disciplined to a fault and, um, you know, <laughs> I would like to stay in bed, but there's something inside me is like, get up. You've had Saturday podcast, you know? <laughs> so I love that you're given the flip side of the coin and saying, you can do it your way. You can do it when mm-hmm. you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your platform, your podcast, your website, whatever you do it. Exactly. And I think, you know, some of it is my personality. I've always been, not, I want to say really sure of myself, but 
there's things that I know are good for me or not good for me. Social media is one of them. I've never, ever gone on because I knew I would either be a voyeur, which would make me feel like really shitty about myself, or I would be mm-hmm. somebody who was trying to show off my life and I don't have time for that. <laughs> so yeah. same thing when I went into podcasts, even though I know the cadence, my cadence is super slow once a month. Right. But I was like, you know what? that's all I can do. And I give right. my permission to make that good enough. And so I, you know, I probably pour a lot more energy for Michelle, our shared friend and audio person would say like, I put her through the ringer <laughs> because, <Yeah. laughs> because I'm only doing once a month, I have a lot of specific ideas, right. And complexities that I want to do the blog. That's more of a, like bang something out. You know, I can get yeah. it done off the top of my head, but it, and it's very timely stuff. A cartoon takes more time and I have to always make sure that I've got something pithy to say. But I, I, again, I offer to people like, let yourself do stuff that you never thought you could or wanted yeah. to, because I go into a creative zone with the drawing in a way that I've never had a, maybe horseback riding, which is one of those places that I like you, ha- when you're on a horse, you're the only thing you can focus on is not dying, right? right. Basically. <laughs> and so cartooning is, is been like that for me too, because it's, it's just a different side of my brain somehow. Interesting. Um, and my son totally gets a kick out of it. And I let him help draw because they're crappy anyway. So it doesn't matter how they look. <laughs> not that he's a crappy drawer, but. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> but okay. So the elder care all sort of happened. It's not that you had a job that you were taking care of elderly or anything like that. I wish I was paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) So tell the readers how you happened to happen upon that. Yeah. And again, I would say, um, because I've started talking to people about this notion of, um, you know, take your, I love the, it's Nadine's term, secret expertise, the thing that people are always uh-huh. coming to for, like, hope you, you're such a great example of this, right? You've, you've created a persona and an offering around the fact that you, you're coaching people all the time and people come to you for things like that. Um, and so I, you know, it's, it's a true thing that of the writers that I admire, like a David Sedaris or Anne Lamont, I was like, well, I haven't done anything to talk about. Like, I don't my life is not that interesting, right? Yeah. So one of the things I realize in retrospect is, is of the time that I might've said I was pulled away from my creative time. Now, when I look back on it, that was, it's like, that's the fertile ground where I was actually living my life and gaining some experiences that have now become the, the subject matter of all of this stuff. So I okay, hold on. I want you to repeat that slowly <laughs> because this is you. Um, Rachel wrote her answers down, and I had to pause over this one because it was it was just so helpful for me to see it in writing. So what you're saying is that you did get pulled away from your creative side, mm-hmm. your passions. You were in the grind, so to speak, going to work, doing your thing, raising a kid, um, and. But you look back on it as that was the fertile material that sort of sprouted the seeds of who you are now. Precisely. Because I, you know, what's, what's the quote, the, you know, life is what happens to you when you're looking for life or whatever. I'm exactly. Totally it. But, but yeah, so it, and hope to your point, you know, I, I wrote, I wrote in prep just so I could get my, my brain around the, what we were planning to talk to. And, and I, I appreciate that you said that because even I, I'm, I'm looking at it now. When I wrote that, I was like, hey, <laughs> like yeah. that is what happened. So what I had said to myself was, 
or rather what I say to your audience is just let yourself relax into those years when you feel really pulled away from yourself, from your passions, whether it's because of your family, whether it's your work, whether it's like for me, I had to make choices around income and debt and obligations like that. Um, And because what I realized is when you really, really, really want to start creating again or do whatever this thing that's pulling on you, um, you will be motivated to make Mm -hmm. the space. And then that earlier time becomes that fertile ground where you can pull from those experiences and you can pull from that wisdom and you can offer it to others. And I, when I look back on that moment, I, I spent, my husband used to say like, so just write, why don't you write, why don't you write? And it's, as you know, it's not that easy. And I, I couldn't find my true North. And then one day I did, and that's what we're talking about. And I'll, I'll segue into the elder part. And so it's almost like I'm, I suggest just giving yourself permission that when the time is right, like you won't be able to stop yourself. You'll be hope with 50 podcasts, yeah, <laughs> right? It'll yeah. just happen <laughs> and you will make time for it because you, something in you says you have to. Yeah, right? that's true. Cause people will say, how do you have time to work and do this? And I'm like, how, how can I not do it? I mean, it's, yeah. I want to do it. I'm motivated. Exactly. Yeah. So for me is I almost don't want to, um, distract with what I'm writing about because it's so personal to my experience. But so what I like to point out is it's what I went through. And I think you were the one to say it first, right? It's my personal experience that I can offer. Nobody else went through this version of it. People are constantly asking to talk to me or take me for a drink or pick my brain because of this. So those are the universal elements that I think can drive anybody's plan to Mm -hmm. put themselves out there. Uh, it just happens in my case, as you heard me say before, literally from the point that my, by when my, the day my son was born, the first elder was already failing. And eight months later, she died. Two months later, totally unexpectedly, my husband's uh, father died. A year later, uh, his step, late in life, stepfather died. Uh, let me get this timeline right. I think it was the year after that my father figure died because I had this mother figure, father figure, so almost like a second uh, set of parents in my life. And then my dad died in 2015. So of the seven, we have two octogenarian mothers left and all of that happened in the first five years of my son's life. And then since then, it's been where do the last two elders live? What is their health like? Who are they clo- you know, physically, geographically close to? Who's going to manage what? Um, so that was just on top of real life. And mm-hmm. I gained these wisdoms and knowledge and, and, and such depth and breadth that when I turned around and built my platform, it was because I can say off the top of my head, more information and knowledge and wisdom about what it's like to deal with end of life for elders than most people ever have to learn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I wanted to say that a but when you hear the word platform, some listeners may be like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Like, right, I'm never right going to have a platform, but it just means that you know a little more than mm-hmm. some other people, yeah. <laughs> you know, just enough to share tips and advice. And exactly. And, and I want to emphasize, I loved what you had said about, um, you know, that I, you, you don't put the people that you talk to forward as the ones who figured it all out. Mm-hmm. So case in point, let's tell, you know, make sure your listeners realize that I only 
started my blog and my cartoon and my podcast in mid January. And so what is this this? year? This year. (laughs) It's only been three months. So if you're to go, you're an expert on elder care that. (laughs) And that's the thing. So I'll now I'll turn around and, and start pitching people who are experts, right? Can I write for your form and whatever, but I would never be so egotistical as to tell them, right. That's what we'll go on to Ellen Goodman, et cetera, that I know more than them. What I am doing is relaxing into my confidence of, I have a very unique experience. I have mm-hmm. a unique, very unique skill set. I have a very unique voice and, you know, I'm offering, quite frankly, I'm trying to counter the maudlin right aspect of the like I can't stand the pictures of the old people holding hands with the young people and like like <laughs> there's just this whole it's like a light pink hue over every image like that's not what it's like man right it's messy there's bedpans and bed yeah no yeah it's just it's it's you you're angry at the situation you're sad you're you're some things are left I still have actually this is hilarious the widow of my mom's brother, he just passed very rapidly of Alzheimer's in a good way, meaning a blessing. Uh, last year, she's actually visiting this next week. Everybody's vaccinated. She gets to see my mom, but she still keeps sending me pictures, goofy pictures of things he did or anecdotes of things he did because that was her coping mechanism and yeah. as it was mine to deal with this really intense experience. Um, and you'll actually see some of the cartoons about what they went through together on, on my site. Yeah. Um, my husband's um, aunt passed away a few years ago and she'd mm-hmm. always had a great sense of humor and as did her husband and a few, I guess it was a few weeks or maybe a month or two after she passed away, some relatives got a text from her, even though she was deceased but from her <laughs> cell phone. And it said, it sure is hot down here. <laughs> Stop it. Oh my God, that's genius. So anyway, that's, it's just <laughs> his, his sense of humor. You know, it, it's how some people deal it. with really hard yes. situations. And yes. uh, so I love that you're, you, that's your thing. And yeah, that's, uh, you know, and what's, what's been fascinating hope is um, I feel really weird about the fact that with the platform, meaning the website platform, you can see who opens the newsletters, right? Who unsubscribes, uh-huh. et cetera. And so the, in the early weeks, it was fascinating to try not to interpret, right? That person unsubscribe because this is not their thing or whatever. And across the board, it turned out for the most part, people I, you know, I didn't announce that I was doing this and yeah. I'm using my irreverent Rachel moniker. So people are like, what's this spam? And they would get rid of it. Oh. And then suddenly realize what it was. And I, this one woman, she's, she care took my father figure so he could die in his own home and then ended up buying the home. So we're still very close. So I had to manage their estate and everything. So we got super, super close. Um, and she keeps writing. She's like, I, I promise I'm not going to write after every one of your podcasts or, or, you know, blogs comes out, but it's just so hilarious. And, okay. and this is a woman who's, you know, in her sixties, I think now and retired. And I would not necessarily say is my audience per se, yeah. like might take offense <laughs> or, you know, doesn't need it anymore. And she's happy to tell me every time that she's been howling with laughter so it's it's struck a nerve I think in a way that I'm giving people permission right to experience that side of the mm, the irreverent side of the of what's usually just a hard yeah tough sad process right 
And do you find that your bucket is filled up? Like you're, you're, you have a certain amount of energy. And if you're doing this and um, feeling like you're helping people ease the process of dealing with death, do you feel like it's filling up your bucket? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think I, I, I've, I feel very lucky that my itch gets scratched a couple different ways. So first as I'm creating, I get that, right. That mm-hmm. fills up my bucket and I just feel complete and like I'm using all of myself and I'm returning to myself. And so that happens. And then the content, you know, I push send and the content goes out in the world. And then I get this whole another layer of feedback because I'm not charging anything, right. I'm just yeah. putting it out into the world and I get a whole nother layer of people who it resonates with, or it helps them explicitly, or it just gave them a laugh. And then I get this other adrenaline rush. Um, but what I l- appreciate is Nadine, the writing coach we just met the other day for a quarterly session when she's like, yeah, 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 that's all well and good. But after a certain point, Rachel, you're going to burn out, right? Like, I, you know, I get you're doing this as like a public service announcement, but what's in it for you? And I was like, it's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, and she, and she's, she nailed me because I'm pragmatic to a fault, right? Uh-huh. When, when you grow up with family situation where things don't quite work out, like I just don't let myself dream much, right? Yeah. Drives my husband nuts. And so she's like, Rachel, like if you sit around and you're daydreaming, like what, what's in it for you? And I was like, oh, right, that. I was like, well, then I become known as this person. And I have a book like hyperbole in a behalf and I get to mm-hmm. speak, right? And then people ask me to come talk in my irreverent way in different forums and whatever. And, and that's could be my end game. And then I will have achieved, ch- check this out, Hope. I've never... I've never felt pressured by my family other than they, you know, I do feel like I've got a gift in writing and they wanted me to use it. And they Mm -hmm. had, people generally only have one notion of what writing means and that's you publish books. Right. So I, I made this thing. I showed it to my mother regularly. I had her listen to the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. She basically doesn't understand the interwebs. She has no (laughs) idea what a podcast, like she doesn't get it at all. Right. (laughs) But what she immediately said, again, she's a no pressure lady. And yet I was in this moment, I was like, this is worth 10 years of therapy in one 30 second conversation, because I showed all of that to her and her immediate response was like, oh, can you make it into a book? (laughs) I was like, there's that monkey on my back. So yes. So there's, those are the three pieces for me, Hope. It's the, the daily creativity, the daily helping other people like the writing and the helping through line that I mentioned before and then allowing myself to have an end game and say what's in it for me and and aim for something yeah and because you were saying as far as the creativity that in your current job you had kind of reached a point where you weren't fully using all your yeah all your creative outlets and Exactly. And, and, you know, that's the choice I, I had to make. It's the dirty truth of life, I think, is creative jobs don't pay so much and non-creative jobs do. And there was a day that I offer this to anybody who's trying to figure out this balance. So what I love about the career counseling focus is once you start thinking in skill sets, right, you can unlock a whole different way of looking at yourself. So for example, when I was working as a writer, I I was an editor at a paper. Well, what does an editor do? You're the hub of the wheel producing this output, Mm -hmm. working with artists and advertisers and writers and putting all together and then 
graphically designing it and pushing it out the door. So functionally, my day job is that. I'm a project manager of creative pieces and some writing and I'll do the proofing. And I, I very intentionally landed in a place where I can oddly use my interest mm-hmm. in my background. So that was what was missing for me is that uh, it's a nice compliment for me to show up because I'm very values-based and a place in a way that's meaningful to me to make a paycheck. But then I've got it almost, I couldn't have predicted this until it happened. Like it's super nice to have the separation of church and state because then I'm not constrained in my creative side to do whatever the hell I want, literally, including swearing. Yeah, (laughs) that's very true. Yeah, they're not saying, Rachel, um, go redo this cartoon. Exactly, exactly. It's whatever I want to do. So, and I mean, I think the last plug I'd make that um, I'm realizing along the way is I could do my own podcast like you, you all were super great about teaching me how to do this or how to do that. And um, I could do my own graphic design because I've got a little bit of background in that, but I quickly realized, and actually I think Nadine was a good mentor there. If I outsource the things that didn't give me as much joy, right? If you have the means to do that and, 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 um, or you can find a way to make it cheap enough that that's a, a benefit, then it leaves you time for everything else. And more to the point, what I'm finding in working with Michelle, our audio person, my audio person, and Elizabeth, the designer, is their expertise and their creativity unlocks even more in me. There's mm-hmm. things that Elizabeth did on my website and we're actually looking at merchandise now, which is hilarious. Yeah. I never, ever, ever, ever would have thought to do that for myself. Yeah. But they both have either their own um, experiences, background, perspective that they can drip ideas. And you do the same for me, Hope, mm-hmm. that then make me like, oh, maybe sure let's do that too (laughs) yeah and it frees up your energy so you're not exactly dealing with website design if that's not your forte Mm -hmm. yeah so do you have any advice for your younger self the Rachel before irreverent Rachel the Rachel before irreverent Rachel Uh, I guess it's interesting because I think um I would never, I'm not a regretful person, right? So I would never look back on my life and say, oh, I, I should have done mm-hmm. writing formally, right? Or I should have done this or that. I th- think what I would say is don't beat yourself up so much, right? When you choose or have to move away from the thing you think you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. Or you're drawn to do. And Mm, just know that if you're lucky enough, because I want to name that, like, now I feel like we all live too long. <laughs> yeah. But you do have to live long enough to get to a place where you can say the first part of your life was about this, and then the next part of your life is about this. Um, there's a poem that a friend gave me. She doesn't even remember giving it to me. <laughs> that was so, had such an impact on me, and now neither one of us can find it. But it was something to the effect, it's very, very zen, right? Like something to the effect of when you're doing the dishes, do the dishes. When you're doing the laundry, do the laundry. Like the time will come, right, when you do the irreverent Rachel. Yeah. So I think I think that's what it would be, is not to, um, and, 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 and on the flip side of it, in a positive way, I, at my lowest moment, recently a couple of years ago when I was feeling the work discontent I was I felt like I had been put in a box by others and put in a box by myself right mm-hmm. and and I I had really 
willingly and unwillingly let go of my identity, what made me happiest, what I wanted to do. And that's the day that I woke up and was like, oh, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> and just started. I literally like little things like hope I put my earrings back in. I have three pierced on the side. I walked into work and somebody's like, did you pierce your earrings? I was like, yeah. no, I just put them back in. I'm going back. Yeah. I'm going back to the basics. I'm right? back. I'm back with a vengeance. So <laughs> I, it's not that I would say don't let yourself go. But if you ever hit that point where you've, you don't quite recognize who you are, right? And you've let a little bit too many of the things that are important to you go by the wayside, like reclaim yourself. Yes. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Love <Yeehaw>. that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Rachel was so kind to give us um, a... I don't even know what you'd call it, like a little sheet that helps you figure out what your superpower is. Is that how you yes, describe it? exactly. So um, I realized as we were leading up to this conversation that um, Nadine, the writing coach, is kind enough to have us all practice, right, expressing who, what we're doing and what we're about. And so recently I was helping people try to do the same assessment. That's very similar to what your conversation is about, Hope, which is not how you create a platform, right? Not how you do a website and podcast and that, but how do you self-assess what these personal passions are, what these through lines are, what your secret expertise are, is that you can put out into the world, right? That you, maybe you're already mm -hmm. even doing, but that you can really intentionally harness um, and just start doing it in whatever creative form you want to do or professional form, right? It doesn't, we just happen to be talking about creativity, but it can be a business, right? Mm -hmm. It can be um, an article. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's just a little flyer to suggest to show you how I got where I am. And if yeah. something like this interests you, then, then that's, that's what I, that's what helped me. I'll put it in the show notes too. So give us cool. your website. My website is www.this-is-gettingold.com. So this is getting old.com. Uh, and it's Irreverent Elder Care Insights by Reverend yeah. Rachel. And y'all should sign up for her newsletter. It will have you tackling and, you know, people at work wondering what you're laughing about. <laughs> that would be a big compliment. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on a Saturday. I appreciate it. Oh, oh man, Hope. Anytime. I love hanging with you and your adorable accent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. And here are her take-home points. Number one, Rachel was brought up to believe money would come if she pursued her passion, but this wasn't the case for her and it may not be the case for you. Number two, sometimes you'll have to choose financial security over your personal interest and passions. You'll have to leave them behind for a while so you can pay off debt and have a reliable income. Rachel looks at the time she stepped away from her creative ideas as the fertile material that sprouted the seeds of creativity she's experiencing now. She says life is what happens to you when you're looking for life. Number three, even if you have to have like a non-passion-inducing job, carve out time for yourself to pursue creative outlets. Number four, if you're feeling underutilized at work like Rachel was, sign up for a class in something that you find interesting or something you used to be into when you were younger. Rachel signed up for writing classes and found that she was on fire. Number five, your loved ones might have a hard time accepting this new version of you, but if it feels in alignment with your true self, you know you're on the right path. 
Rachel says you also have to relax into your expectations of your partner. They didn't know this version of you, and it takes time for them to adjust to this new you. Number six, Rachel describes when she finally showed her true self to the outside world. She said she felt like she had unzipped the suit she'd had on for years. She felt like she was letting her 16-year-old self out, the part of her who was creative and irreverent. Rachel says if you've lost yourself or you don't recognize yourself, it's time to let that part of you come out of hiding. Reclaim yourself. Number seven, a platform is simply doing what you care about doing. For Rachel, it was giving herself permission to write, speak, and use the subject she knew a lot about from personal experience. It can allow you to write, speak, or doodle when and how you want to. Number eight, know yourself. Know what feels right and what doesn't. For Rachel, social media is not her thing, so she gives herself permission not to post on social media. She gives herself permission to post a podcast when the urge strikes her. Number nine, according to Rachel, let yourself do things you never thought you would do, like with her cartooning, despite her saying she has very little talent at drawing. I think you'll disagree if you go to her website. Number 10, take your secret expertise, the thing that people come to you for and see if you can grow it. Any of us can use our own experience to help others. Rachel had seven elderly relatives, five of who five of whom died and two are alive in their 80s. She had to become an elder care expert. Number 11, outsource the things that don't give you joy. This will leave you more energy to focus on what you love. And lastly, relax into your confidence of your unique skill set, your unique voice, and your unique experiences. If you would like to see Rachel's handout on embracing your amateur experience, go to the website, hopethepa.com, and click on her podcast episode. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. If you like this podcast and think someone else could benefit, please share it. I'd also love for you to write a review on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple. And lastly, if you would like more of the same, come over to my website, hopethepa.com. Thank y'all for listening.